So you want to read the thing? Oh, yes. We've all been there. The swell of the crowd at a sporting, political, or social event where individuals get swept up in the moment and emerge as a force, whether to go out and help in their communities or burn them down. It's called the madness of crowds, temporary incitement, a movement, or a riot, depending on who writes the histories. People tend to feed on each other's emotions, especially in large groups, and while the technology may have been more primitive, people are still people, no matter the era. There's a fine line between a riot and a protest, and again, it usually depends on who's constructing the narrative as people attempt to condemn and to justify actions after the fact. In 532 CE, a crowd became a mob, and a mob caused a riot. That's the part with which we're familiar, but as, all, as with all things, the real story is in the nuances. In histories of the Byzantine Empire, Emperor Justinian and Empress Theodora are seen as either tyrants or visionaries, rare sovereigns who actually seem to give a hoot about the poor and downtrodden in their society. But no matter what, they are always viewed as adaptable leaders who were not content to simply maintain the status quo. One of the largest tests to their reign occurred in 532 CE, when in the midst of war and economic concerns, a sporting event sparked a direct challenge, not just to their rule, but to their very lives. It arose out of what all riots and protests arise from, dissatisfaction with how the citizens see their society. At the end of the riots, an estimated 30,000 people had been killed and half of Constantinople had burned to the ground. On this episode of Relative Disasters, the Nika Riots. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my sister and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events, their contexts, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Greg, host for this episode. And I'm his sister Ella, co-host for this episode. Our main sources for this episode are old, really old. The primary source is The Account of Malalis John, written in the mid-500s. Oh, you went all the way back. Oh, yeah. I had to learn ancient Latin for this one. Uh, around the same time... Dear listeners, uh, Greg w- spares no effort in his research for this podcast. <laughs> it's honestly true. I have too much spare time and too many research skills. This is a problem. Mm. Uh, let's see. Around the same time, uh, the Wars of Justinian, Secret History, and Buildings of Justinian were all written by a man named Procopius. Ooh. Uh, those works need to be taken with a heavy grain of salt because he was less of a historian and more of a very biased against Justinian and Theodora reporter. Hmm. Uh, However, it's good for background. Okay. For some extra modern interpretation, uh, the writer Mike Dash wrote a great article for Smithsonian called Blue versus Green, Rocking the Byzantine Empire. Hmm. Uh, it's, It's a fun read. It's a short read, and it's fun. Okay. In, in order to understand the Nika riots, sometimes also called the Nika violence, Nika rebellion, Nika uprising, Nika revolt, or Nika such, sedition. It is such a bad sign when one event has so many different nicknames. All of yes. them horrible. All of them, all of them making a statement. Sure. Uh, but we'll be referring to them as the Nika riots through this whole thing. And to understand them, you need to understand three things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Byzantine Empire... Emperor Justinian and Empress Theodora, 
and sport fandom. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, we don't have the time and breadth to go into uh, the entire history of things. So we're going to take a brief look at the Byzantine Empire. Okay. So called alternately Byzantium or the Eastern Roman Empire, uh, the Byzantine Empire was, in a nutshell, the continuation of the Roman Empire of antiquity. In fact, if you ask the people living there, they would refer to themselves as Romans and their country as the Roman Empire. To avoid confusion, we'll be calling them Byzantines. Okay. The, the main difference was that the central culture of the Byzantines was Hellenic, not Latin, mm-hmm. and they followed what is now known as Eastern Orthodox Christianity instead of Catholicism. Okay. Uh, so, same from an overview, really, really similar. It's when you get down into the, the, the nitty-gritty that they start showing their differences. Gotcha. Um, when the Roman Empire fragmented in the three and 400s, the Byzantines were what survived all the way until the mid-1400s. Okay. So a thousand years of existence is not too shabby for a culture, you know? Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, the capital city of Constantinople was created by Emperor Constantine to serve as the seat of the empire. Uh, it is today the modern city of Istanbul. So Istanbul was Constantinople, but now it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Now, if you have a date in Constantinople, where are they going to meet you? She'll be waiting in Istanbul. Okay. As the seat of the empire, Constantinople had all the things you needed to run an empire. They had massive churches, an expansive imperial palace, and of course, the Hippodrome. Yes. Which was a giant stadium built for horse races ooh, ooh. well chariots can i sidebar chariot races please uh when i was researching our circus fire in hartford for the first episode this season mm-hmm. i realized that the outside track around their huge big tent is called the hippodrome after the roman track nice yeah nice it's huge and horses live there well don't live there but well run around, run around. There. yeah that's awesome um so the Hippodrome was situated right next to the palace, literally right next to it. Front row There was seats. a balcony. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a balcony that Justinian could walk out onto that was technically part of the palace. Mm-hmm. And he would be like in sort of a, a, an owner's box of the, of the Hippodrome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was awesome. It was really cool. Uh, the Hippodrome was also huge. It could seat 150,000 plus people. Mm, that is pretty big. Yeah. That is humongous. <laughs> and this allowed the common folks to see their Emperor Justinian, and he could start the race ceremonies without needing to leave the palace, which is kind of nice. Really living the dream there, yeah. He, he really is. All right, so another brief overview, because all we have time for are brief overviews, but let's talk very briefly about Justinian and his wife, the Empress Theodora. They are some of my favorite historical figures. One of these days I'd love to do a an episode of anti-disaster on them, okay. especially Theodora. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will limit myself to a basic outline for this episode. Both of them were low-born. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justinian was a very, very, very minor, you know, nephew of a nephew kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Theodora was a straight-up commoner. She was someone who literally worked her way up from abject poverty, the worst you can imagine, mm-hmm. to being empress. That is wild. Um, her story is amazing. And her resolve is incredible. Uh, if you ever get the chance to read a book about her that is not based on the writings of Procopius, because Procopius <laughs> hated not her and just made up a bunch of stuff, Aww. it's pretty bad. The stuff he made up is really bad. Um, but uh, she was amazing. Okay. 
And both of them are considered saints in Eastern Orthodoxy. So that's kind of cool. Sorry, Procopius and Theodora? No, uh, Justinian and Theodore. That makes more sense, yeah. No, Procopius is... Not a saint. Not a saint. Okay. Not a saint. Got it. Now, since both of them were low-born, they, they never forgot it. They used their power as the Imperial Augusta to enact real social change mm. in an empire that was starting to grow stagnant, okay? In an almost unprecedented fashion, the two were actually co-rulers, with both planning military campaigns and political strategies... Theodora was always in the room when Justinian was in the room and vice versa. Like they, they appear to have a relationship that was genuinely based on affection Mm -hmm. and like respect for each other, Mm -hmm. which just wasn't done back then. No, very unfashionable. You know, Mm -hmm. they reformed the Corpus Juris Civilis, which was the set of laws that govern the citizens of the empire to allow less exploitation of the poor and raise taxes on the wealthiest citizens to pay for social programs for the poor. Oh, we love that. I love that. So I got a little flutter in my heart. Like Bernie They're really Sanders. cool. Uh, okay. As well as they changed how the grossly corrupt governmental officials of the time operated. Mm. And they surrounded themselves with very smart people who disagreed with them. And generals who understood the military's place in the society that they were trying to create. And their three main advisors were people who deserve their own Awesome People of History awards themselves. Okay, they were. Belisarius. Belisarius was a general who was responsible for executing Justinian and Theodora's military plan to retake Rome. (laughs) Remember, from Constantinople. I'm sensing a little ambition here, as well as diplomacy Uh, and statesmanship. Okay. Yeah, except he pulled it off. (laughs) Well, good for him. Tactical brilliance, excellent field management. A lot of a lot of historians, military historians who know Belisarius, like put him on the level with like Napoleon. Okay, he's that level of impressive. Mm-hmm. Narciss, not Narciss like narcissistic, but Narcis. Okay, um, was a palace eunuch mm-hmm. who was extremely competent at managing the incredibly let's just say Byzantine, political intrigue of the day, uh, while still remaining a beloved and respected figure in society. And he lived into his 90s, by the way. Whoa. So not bad. Did he Narcisse write a was, memoir? He should have. Lots of stuff was written about him. Okay. But I don't believe he wrote a memoir. He, he probably would have felt like, aw, you know, people wouldn't want to hear about little old me. Oh, he seems like a very cool dude. Okay. And finally, we have John the Cappadocian. So John the Cappadocian was Justinian's tax administrator. And while it is extremely weird to call the chief tax guy of an empire an amazingly cool guy, uh, he was. All right. He had no fear of the nobles and often presented them in person with the new laws that taxed them. (laughs) I love that energy. (laughs) <laughs> they hated him. Oh. <laughs> they hated him so much. Okay. Uh, whereas the common people of, of Constantinople, they knew of the figures of Narses and Belisarius, and they, they really loved them. Um, they were a little more split on John the Cappadocian. Nobody likes because taxes. The, uh, nobody likes taxes. Mm. But again, they had reformed the system so that common the commoners weren't paying as much 
as they had been before and the nobles were paying a lot more yeah. but the nobles also had access to all the propaganda machines that they needed so they were very very they very easily put John the Cappadocian as you know oh you shouldn't like this guy he's taking your money mm. it was great standard political theater anyway in short especially for the time period all of these people were awesome okay uh, and the people who got into power through manipulations of the laws and the cultural standbys of, but that's the way we've always done things, uh, however, did not see so. Hmm. And they would attempt to seize any good opportunity to overthrow Justinian and Theodora before they could do more damage to what the nobles believed they were entitled. Their own tax money. Yes. <laughs> or no tax money. Exactly, exactly. And the uh, sports uh, balcony so, sounds pretty sweet. I bet they wanted that, I too. mean, the sports balcony is yeah. one of the best moments of this. Okay. So with that unfairly brief overview of the intricacies of the Byzantine Empire under Justinian, let's talk sports! Sports! It's time for sports. Uh, the major sporting event of the time were the massively attended chariot races in a city's chariot stadium. Yes. Uh, and as we said, the biggest and best was the Hippodrome of Constantinople. Mm-hmm. You know how the the poet Juvenal was famous for saying that all the common people want is bread and circuses? Well, the best bread and circuses to keep the masses happy were right here, folks. I mean, I'm a commoner. Uh, I love my carbohydrates. I love my entertainment. Give me me my, yeah, breads and backflip. How can you go wrong? Sorry, just thinking about how much I love bread. (laughs) Got a little sidetracked there. Bread's good, man. (laughs) It's all right. (laughs) We're just wistfully thinking of bread. Bread. And it's important to note that riots were not uncommon after particularly hard-fought or contested races. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of pride and lots of money were on the line sure. whenever the chariots started out. And sports riots are usually fairly simple affairs to understand. It's, you know, usually, ah, my team lost, I'm mad, let's break stuff. Or, yay, my team won, let's party. Yeah, it's uh, the same energy. It's just directed in a positive it's the same or negative energy. way. Yeah. Exactly. The same kind of violence, the same kind of injuries. Yeah. So just as American college football drunken brawls and British football hooliganism are seen as unavoidable byproducts of their cultures, so were the chariot rioters. Uh, (laughs) That's really hard to say. (laughs) Chariot rioters. Great band name. Absolutely. Absolutely. Usually these riots were small skirmishes between the different fan factions, Mm -hmm. but sometimes they'd escalate until a unit of the military needed to be called in to shut everyone up and send them home. That's Um, when you know the party's over. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, Damage to property happened. Deaths happened. Mm -hmm. And people generally got worked up and acted like idiots because of highly paid athletes succeeding or failing to accomplish the goal of their sports. So, you know, we have modern parallels. Everything's fine. Sorry, are you not a fan of modern... I am a huge fan of sports. I am not a huge fan of people who riot in the name of their sports team. Okay. Um, Fair enough. I know which minor league baseball team you support. It's true. I do. Uh, At any rate, Mm -hmm. uh, we should talk about the demos or the demas. This was the term for those fan factions. Okay. Their influence extended well beyond just the sport. Okay. Okay. Historically, there were four demas, the Veneti, the Prasini, the Rosati, and the Albati, which were the blues, greens, reds, and whites. Okay. Uh, by the time of Justinian's rule, however, the reds and whites had largely been absorbed into the blues and greens, and they basically had a two-party system. Okay. Now, 
we think of these as like, I support the Philadelphia Eagles. I support Manchester United. They are not. These were an amalgamation of sports fandom, political parties, and street gangs. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> all of the things. All good things. All good <laughs> things. Uh, whoever you supported, you supported for life mm-hmm. and fanatically hated the other side. Okay. It was more than just sports fandom. It was... Every religious, political, and societal factionalism rolled into one, Mm -hmm. which, in a small sidebar, we do need to talk about uh, the policies of running an empire, uh, because this works out great for emperors. Okay. That's how fostered factionalism is supposed to work. Yeah, you'd never want the people to rise up together. You only want half at a time. That's how I run my empire, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's how every, every good emperor runs their empire. You've been taking notes. The people in power want the people without power to be as factionalized as possible so they can't unite and realize how much power they would actually have. Mm-hmm. In modern politics, we'd call these intentional factionalizations wedge issues. Mm-hmm. But back then, it was j- just much more simple. You were a blue or you were a green, and that said everything it needed to. Okay. Uh, At the Hippodrome, tempers would flare, bets would be exchanged, and the winners would jeer the losers who would curse them in kind. Uh, Those who found themselves down dark alleys near the Hippodrome at the end of the races should be very careful about which colors they wore. Yeah, how do you support your team? Do you have, like, a toga? You have a color that you wear. If you support the greens, you wear green. If you support the blues, you wear blue. And your charioteer will be wearing the same color. So it's a lot like uh, the people who buy, you know, a football... Uh, jersey to wear to a football game. Yeah, yeah it's that. Okay. You know. And th- while I- I- this is not universal, there there will be a number of people in those you know seats who just are there to watch a good race. But the true diehard fanatics are are the ones wearing the blue and the green. So those are the equivalent of those those sports fans who like paint their faces and their heads. Oh yeah, definitely. But there's a lot more of them. Okay. Okay. Like there's, there's, it it wouldn't be exactly half the stadium would be blue and half would be green, Mm. but it would be more like, you know, almost half and half with a small wedge of people who are just there for the races. Okay. Like it, it was pretty, pretty widespread. Gotcha. Now, Justinian was trying to cultivate an image of a more impartial emperor because the emperors before him had always declared a preference for one of the factions. Mm -hmm. Now, he caused some rumblings by quietly not supporting either Demas, despite being a blue supporter before he rose to the throne, Mm -hmm. and by stating that all factions should be united in support for their emperor and empire, so he would not publicly be a supporter of either side. Yeah. Uh, Theodora, however, said the heck with that noise and did not follow his example. She was a passionate supporter of the Blues because they had taken her and her mother in when her father had unexpectedly died when she was a child. Mm -hmm. And the Greens, who they had previously supported, turned their backs on her family. So she was she was all blue all the way. So She's got a history. They both have a history. Justinian and Theodora both supported the blues right in late december of 522 a particularly nasty finish to a race Mm -hmm. led to a lethal skirmish between the blues and greens outside the hippodrome uh seven people were arrested and sentenced and sentenced to death for their parts in the killings uh scheduled to be hanged on january 10th yeah these were not the fun football hooliganism of you know we kick over a trash can this was a group of people literally descended on another group of people and stabbed them to death. Yeah, that's 
And so Not they were cool. ordered to be executed. Mm-hmm. So to head off the growing tensions, which were being stoked by the nobles of both the Blues and Greens in response to John the Cappadocian's new taxes on them, uh, Justinian declared another race for January 13th. So like right after the executions, come on, everybody, we'll have a nice race. Sure. Let's uh, clear the air, (laughs) get everybody in a happy state of mind again. Exactly. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, on the day of the execution, however, something went wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, while the first five men were hanged until dead, the gallows collapsed when the last two were supposed to be killed. Oh, dang. <laughs> and they managed, they managed to escape to a nearby church and plead for sanctuary. Oh, boy. That is a Hollywood moment. It is. And it was seen as such by the people there. Literally, people were, were believing that uh, God directly intervened to save their lives. I mean, wouldn't you, if you were scheduled to be hanged and the gallows collapsed before you died yeah. and you were able to escape and run to a church? Sure. You would, you would kind of start seeing a little bit of intervention from somewhere. <laughs> and here's the, here's the real kicker. Are you ready for this? Sure. One of the men was a blue and the other was a green. See? Mm-hmm. God wants us all to be friends. Yes. And survive. And support everyone. <laughs> support no, which too far. I just hope both teams have a good time. That's right. I hope nobody gets hurt in that chariot race. Yeah, seriously. Chariot races They're are incredibly super dangerous. dangerous. Yeah. Super dangerous. Seven laps around the hippodrome doesn't sound like much, but... Like, you'd have guys get dragged to death behind their horses. You'd have guys get run over with the wheels. One Apparently, one charioteer fell, and his neck somehow wound up between the spokes. Oh. Like, no thank you. Anyway. You know that's why so many people watched. So, because one of the men was a blue and one was a green, mm-hmm. they were instantly serving as figureheads. Of course. To both factions, yeah. right? And both factions did... What, you know, they, they weren't supposed to do. They united Uh-oh. to plead to plead for leniency from their emperor, mm-hmm. okay? Now, when the races of the 13th commenced, the two factions began a chant for mercy uh, for the two men directly to Justinian as he oversaw the races from his cool race balcony. Thanks. Okay. Justinian gave, Justinian gave no response. Mm. Well, he doesn't pick sides. Now, we already know that. Well, sure, and he doesn't, you know, he's not known for commuting sentences of people who stab other people to death. It does kind of, yeah. yeah. I can see where the issue is. <laughs> now, there were 24 races scheduled for that day. Mm-hmm. By the time of the 22nd, this is when everybody knew that they were in trouble because the crowd had ceased individual chants and now were chanting out Nika in unison. Now, Nika is a word that means win or victory or conquer and it's something that was normally shouted at these sporting events uh in support of your charioteer right right and instead the entire crowd is chanting nika at justinian Uh they are working themselves up towards something sure so justinian tries to calm the moment he raises his hands for silence and he declares that he would grant clemency to the men and commute their sentences to imprisonment okay very reasonable. Sure. Okay. I mean, they did for murder especially. People. They definitely did. <laughs> Can't put them back and out. Okay. However, however, you've got these wealthy nobles mm-hmm. who are kind of stoking the flames behind the scenes, and they see their opportunity and they take it hard. They start firing the crowd up to to say, "Not good enough. We want 
full amnesty for the men who, remember, had murdered people because of a sporting event. Mm. Yeah, we want we want amnesty. Let him walk free. And Justinian refused. Yeah. Okay. And the riot began. People started to tear up seats. People started to light fires. People charged the uh, the field itself. The charioteers had to get out of there in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, they were mounted on things that moved quickly. Were the horses um, okay? <laughs> the horses were okay. okay. All the accounts that I read stated that, the, that no harm had come to the horses. <laughs> uh, so Justinian was hustled back into the palace by the Imperial Guard, and the crowd in the Hippodrome began to spill out into the streets, starting fires on buildings mm-hmm. and marching on the palace. Yikes. Okay. So the emperor and the empress and the entire senate were all effectively besieged by their own people, with the senate guard uh, moving the senate to, like, sort of analogous to a basement. Mm-hmm. And taking up defensive positions in the Imperial Guard defending the palace proper. Okay. Um, after the first couple of days, they were able to sneak the senators out. I'm sorry, days? So, this went on for days? This went on for five days. Whoa. Okay. So as the fires began to spread throughout Constantinople, which, remember, is a big city. Yeah. Uh, Envoys from the rioters came to the palace with demands, which, oddly enough, had very little to do with their, the freedom of those two guys they'd chosen as their figurehead. Their primary demand was they wanted John the Cappadocian dismissed. It's the tax thing. The tax thing. You know, we've moved on yep. from the two guys. <laughs> we're, just, yeah. we're really just concerned about infrastructure here. Okay. <laughs> we're just going to be blatant with the whole, yes, we're doing whatever the rich folks tell us to do. Now thing. that we've yeah. got your attention, my rich friend would like to have a word with you. Would like a word, sir. Okay. Uh, so Justinian reluctantly agreed to dismiss John the Cappadocian. But that wasn't enough. The rioters marched on the Praetorian building and freed all the prisoners after a brutal fight with the local legion, which was forced to retreat to the palace. Okay. They burned down the Hagia Sophia. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. And then declared that they would appoint a new emperor, a better emperor. Sure. Now, the late emperor Anastasius had two nephews, Probus and Hypatius. Uh, They went first to Probus, but he had wisely skipped town. Yeah. I mean, Uh, (laughs) you you don't want to be there for any part of this. No. Uh, And they burned down his estate. Oh, Uh, And then they grabbed Hypatius. Uh, they went to his house. They pulled him out, apparently with his wife still, like, grabbing onto him, trying to hold him inside. Oh, they literally just, like, crowd-surfed him out and marched him to the Hippodrome, where he was crowned emperor and seated on a makeshift throne that directly faced uh, the imperial balcony for Justinian and Theodora. I do not like where this now, is going. There are conflicting accounts as to how Hypatius reacted to this. Mm -hmm. Some historians portray him as unwilling, but not really having a choice with the whole crazed mob and everything. Okay. Uh, And some have him as a willing, active participant in the attempt to overthrow Justinian. Interesting. You know, like, what could possibly go wrong? I get to be the next emperor, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So Justinian's advisors saw how bad things were getting, and they advised the emperor to get on one of his ships, which were anchored nearby and directly accessible from the palace, and get out of town. I mean... Theodora put her foot down, basically stating that the mob can come and kill her, but she is not running. Okay. Because she is a bouse. <laughs> like, they're like, sir, you need to get on this boat. And she's like, nah, I'd rather see how this whole thing works out. See, I just... 
I feel like if you have a sports balcony on one side and a boat balcony on the other side, you need to put that to use and get some distance. Let everybody cool down. Uh, nope. Come back. Because if they had the left fires? the no. If they had left the Imperial Palace, it would have been a gigantic sign of weakness. I mean, there's weakness and then there's survival. And that's what Theodora said. Okay. Basically, I would rather not survive than be seen as weak because you got to remember their background. They scrabbled too hard to get where they are. I mean, they got to a great place. Wouldn't you want (laughs) to stay alive to enjoy that place? I'm I'm with Theodora. I'm with Theodora on this one. (laughs) I I, I think that she was absolutely right that if they had fled the palace... Mm Uh, Hypatius would have been the next emperor and they would have just had them tracked down and executed anyway. Okay. So so Theodora, Justinian, Belarius, and Narses come up with a plan. It was simple, it was brutal, and it worked perfectly. Chariot races. No? Yeah, more chariot races. Only we're going to put the, the mob on the inside of the track. No. Uh so, with the blues and greens all mustered in the Hippodrome along with Hypatius, Justinian walked out onto his little emperor balcony there mm-hmm. with his gospels in one hand and a pardon for the rioters in the other. Mm-hmm. The nobles leading the blues and greens at this point saw this as a last-ditch effort for him to hold on to his throne, and they refused him. Okay. Declaring Hypatius emperor. Now, while this proceeding was proceeding, Narses entered the Hippodrome alone and unarmed and made his way through the crowd to the leaders of the blue faction untouched. Like I said, this guy was genuinely liked by the common people of Constantinople. I I kind of imagine it like Tom Hanks walking through a riot and asking people if they can just chill for a minute. You know, like who's going to who wants to be the guy who like throws a bottle at Tom Hanks? You know what I mean? Sure. He seems like a nice gentleman. Okay. Anyway, uh, so Narses met with the leader of the Blues for a few minutes and spread a decent number of gold coins around mm. and then turned around and left the Hippodrome again without incident. The Blue leaders spoke to their people for a minute and then the Blues started to trickle out of the stadium in small groups. Okay. A little while after this, the Greens and remaining Blues who refused to leave noticed that the exits were blocked by soldiers and Belisarius came through the main entryway with a force of Goths and, to put it bluntly, killed every single person in the Hippodrome, noble or commoner, blue or green. Yikes. The death toll was reported as 30 or 35,000. Whoa. Okay. Yikes. Yeah. That is... That's a lot. That is more than I expected. Uh, yeah. yeah. This was not like you know 500 people in a in a mob this was thousands of people this is a big gesture it's a it's a it's a statement it, it certainly is a statement and this is one of the reasons why some historians do view justinian as one of the great uh, tyrants of the classical sense i mean i was all for him until this plan turned out to be murdering 30,000 people i thought there would be uh, like 30, a yeah. like a clever twist i was not expecting an incredible well the clever twist was how he managed to not have to kill like 80,000 or so is it though uh, by getting by getting the blues out of there Are yeah those no our it's choices? bad those at this point in order to hold on to his rule yeah those were his choices okay yeah don't love it uh no don't love it but you know <clears throat> that that's uh it's a reason why kings and emperors don't sleep well at night if they have any sense of conscience. So 
Hypatius was captured, tried, and executed. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, and the nobles at the forefront of the insurrection were executed and had their estates confiscated by the emperor and much of their wealth redistributed to nobles who had been loyal to him and just general common folk. Okay. So basically what, uh, what Narses had told the leaders of the blues mm-hmm. were, look, in about half an hour, Belisarius and his men are going to come through that gate and they're going to kill everybody in here. Now, you know Theodora loves you guys, and Justinian's always been a blues kind of guy. So if y'all want to leave and hear some money for your troubles, get out now. And that was it. With the blues and the greens factionalized again. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, he did not bother giving the same offer to the greens. Um, <laughs> Doesn't work if you give the it blues, to both sides. Yeah. I mean, he could have maybe gotten everybody to leave. No, that's not how that works. Basically, what that did was that split the number of people in more than half mm-hmm. that the uh, that Belisarius's forces needed to deal with. So, hmm. uh, half of Constantinople had been burned down and needed to be repaired or rebuilt. Uh, Justinian also ordered the Hagia Sophia to be rebuilt even greater than her former glory. Okay, the building that still stands today uh, is the one that Justinian had rebuilt. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and if you've ever seen, dear listeners, the Hagia Sophia, it is an amazing building. Very, very cool. The Hippodrome was shut down with no chariot races for the next five years. Mm. Uh, and due to that shutdown and obviously the riots, the political power of the Blues and Greens was largely shattered by the events. Uh, with many of their leaders arrested and anyone who had been connected to the uprising at all having their wealth and property taken. Now, all in all, uh, Justinian and Theodora emerged from these events with a more advantageous position than before. They were able to institute laws that reduced the power of the Senate so as to make them a little more representative of their constituents Mm -hmm. and prevent another such uprising. Uh, Their armies went on to, as we said, reconquer Rome, uh, expanding the borders of the empire to the largest they would ever be. Really? Also, fun note, uh, Justinian almost immediately reappointed John the Cappadocian to his tax position. Uh, (laughs) And he continued to enforce some social responsibility on the wealthy. Now, it is worth saying that uh, Justinian's rule was not all roses. No, Uh, you know, I... I can't get over the massacre. Okay. Yeah, it is a massacre. Absolutely. This is not the last disaster to befall the shared reign of Justinian and Theodora. Mm -hmm. With famine, unnaturally cold weather uh, causing droughts, volcanic eruptions, an earthquake, and the Black Plague sweeping through for good measure. Justinian himself was infected but survived. eventually dying in 565, while Theodora died at a young age in 548, likely of some form of cancer. Thanks. And that is the story of the Nika riots. That is so much worse than I thought it would be. Really? So much worse. Yeah, I, you know. I mean, how did you think we're going we're gonna to oust the current emperor who still controls the military and install our own emperor was going to end up. It's not like he was going to politely ask him to leave after that, you know? But you sold this to me as a sports riot. 
It's that's how it started. <laughs> it, it may have started there, but it went right around the block and oh. up the highway and down across the state and line it, <laughs> uh, before it reached its conclusion. Yep. So yeah. what do you yeah. think? So it seems like Justinian and Theodora and their head advisors were pretty well respected. Yes. What do you th- by by many people, but not not necessarily, especially not by, however, the nobles. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why he had such a hard time hanging on to power in the early days of his reign. So what do you think, um, what kind of, was there any ever any kind of like overhaul to the system of nobility or land granting? Oh, yeah. Well, that after was, this? that was like, what were there nobles his, at yes. all after this? Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you needed to leave the main political structure in place. It would be like if. I mean, this seems like a pretty good argument for taking another look at that. Anyway, that is really frightening. I mean. Yeah. Okay. It's fascinating. Anytime we have to talk about that level of power in anyone's hands, especially when that person is seen historically as fairly benevolent, Mm -hmm. you just sort of brush aside the, yeah, and then he had 30,000 civilians killed in in a sports stadium. As he watched from his Because they were bathroom. trying to overthrow him and kill him and burning down half his city and murdering his soldiers, sure. But, you know, it's a lot of people. That got dark. <laughs> Sorry. Here at Relative Disasters, we do fact-check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our story today, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com, or if you'd like to share some insights we missed or just shame us publicly. No, you do. Why not use our Instagram at relative.disasters? Today's episode is brought to you by two of our wonderful patrons. Uh, patron number one is Tasha, who fell asleep while tending the feed troughs during the great gerbil stampede of 1292. Tasha! And Hane, who believed it wasn't butter. Hane! I'm sorry, they believed it wasn't butter? Yeah. Yikes. Okay. Hope both of you are in a better place now. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion, and please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My sister has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Ella? Well, Greg, you know I love to say that colonization ruins everything. I have the ultimate colonization story. Ooh. Okay. That would be the story of how 111 men, women, and children vanished ah. off Roanoke Island, off the coast of the Carolinas. Croatan. Oh, I can't wait for that. That's going to be amazing. It's so much weirder and so much worse than uh, than you think. Oh, sure. Yeah. All right. They didn't just go to some farm upstate? Honey, I wish. I wish I could tell you that. <laughs> Well, that sounds like an amazing disaster, and I cannot wait to talk about it with you.